Hello everyone, welcome to Press Pause, where we take a short break in our actual play show and do something different, something new, something spontaneous. Uh, this is called Less Chat, a interview show where we bring in other creators in the TTRPG space and see about what they do and who they are and why they do it. So uh, today we have a very special guest here for you all, Jay Dragon. Jay is oh, wow. the creator of... Yes, uh, Jay is the creator of Wander Home, which is the game that um, Queer PG, our podcast, is playing for our second season. And Jay is also the editorial director at Possum Creek Games. And so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kenzie. I'm super excited to talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can jump right in. Uh, first off, I would just like to get to know you a little bit more. So... How did you happen upon um, TTRPGs? What was your entrance into this world? So, I started with uh, LARP when I was very young. I think my the I I was like twelve years old at a summer camp LARPing, um, and then when I was eighteen, I kind of finally was like, "All right, let me see what this." knock off LARP is, right? Let me, like, <laughs> oh, you sit around a table and you, like, roll dice instead of, like, actually doing things. Um, and so I played some 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. I played Monster Hearts. And then it was mm -hmm. all over for me, right? Like, it was, like, really a fast descent into madness. Um, and, yeah, and they kind of... It, it Games have always been kind of, like, my fascination. Um, and... Uh, like they're kind of the 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 language I use to articulate myself and my worldview, and so uh, once I kind of figured out that tabletop is not actually knockoff LARP, uh, it was like, oh, cool, I like this a lot. I'll make because that was it for me, right? You know, you, it's, it's it's you're doomed. You 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 fall into the into the pit really swiftly. You can be mm -hmm. consumed by this world. Yeah, I oh, actually have yeah. never um I have never LARPed before. How did um, that start LARP, for you? LARP is kind of weird because because good LARP is going to be better than anything else, but mm -hmm. mediocre LARP is like worse than mediocre tabletop, and bad <laughs> LARP is just abysmally worse and more common. So really, there's kind of this feeling of playing with fire uh, when you're, like, getting into it, where it's like, if you've got good LARP, you're going to have, like, a life-changing experience. If you've got bad LARP, you're going to have just wasted a weekend uh, feeling miserable. So, um, But I went to the Wayfinder Experience, um, which uh, is a, has, has a lot of notable alumni, uh, which I guess I am one of. Uh, yes. And uh, apparently now... Uh, and it's it's designed to like run these games for kids, and it's very focused on like, uh, like kind of like immersive and like uh, empowering experiences and like doing things out in the woods. And so like, a lot of my like early experiences are about like running around in the woods at night, you know, like lit only by candles, like this kind of very like very immersive, very like kind of in your in your face, very like not much of the like numbers that like kind of are associated with LARP. Um, not like kind of like the D and D, but like I've never really, it's I've always been periphery to Dungeons and Dragons, and so mm -hmm. a lot of the kind of ways of end up playing has been very secondary to that. Um, but yeah, wonderful. Um, so you started out playing um the game. When did that shift into creating and writing your own stuff kind of happen for you? 
also, I think pretty much... So, okay, I like to say this about game designers. Game designers are really weird people. Because most of the time, most... The natural human instinct, when you encounter a thing you don't enjoy, is to say that you're going to not do it again, right? You have an experience, you're like, that wasn't fun, I'm out. Uh, the game designer is the sick freak who plays <laughs> yeah. a thing and doesn't like it and goes, yeah. I can do better. And that's the madness. Um, so when I was 14, I ran my first LARP. I had about 100 people between staff and participants, and I had like a budget, and I was like a 14-year-old doing this whole thing. Uh, and then I did uh, many more times since then. Uh, so I got started really young. And then I was immediately a forever GM, right? Like, no, I don't even... I, I don't I don't even really enjoy being a player that much. I was just immediately like, oh, let me get back there. Let me get back in the machine. Let me, I need to sh- shift some things around. Uh, and I think 2018 is when I wrote my first tabletop game. 2020, sorry, 2019 is when I published my first, which was Sleepaway. Um, and people really liked Sleepaway, and I kickstarted it, and it did pretty well. And I was like, hey, I can keep doing this. And yeah. then 2020 was when I kickstarted Wander Home, and that was kind of when everything exploded. Yeah. Um, and now um, I just do it full time. <laughs> which is great. Uh, you kind of take the thing that you love and make it uh, financially stable for you in, in a, in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that all happened. So is was kind of the creation of Possum Creek Games related to Wander Home specifically, or did that come out first? Possum Creek was like, a little thing I had made for tax reasons in 2019. Okay. It was like a little convenient to like have a, a DBA. And then 2020, um, Ruby is my business partner, Grubby. Um, Grubby and I, um, we kind of, you know, we worked together on Sleepaway. We, 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 we were working together very hard on Wander Home. And Wander Home made, you know, $100,000 in two days. And we went, oh my God, uh, let's take this little business thing that I had made and let's actually make it a real business. Um, and so, yeah, Possum Creek is, is, is technically precedes Wander Home, but truthfully, like it started as what it is in, in 2020 with Wander Home. It is kind of, okay. you know, it grew to, to hold the, the creature that is that, that is that game. Yeah. Um, if, if people haven't scoured uh, the Possum Creek games website, um, then they have missed what I think is an absolute wonder that is part of your mission statement. So I'm just going to read that here so that everyone listening can know what I'm talking about. But there's a part where it's written, We are meaningfully invested in anti-fascist action, in indigenous stewardship over colonized land, in queer and disabled joy, in the dismantling of the capitalist carceral state, and in the survival and prosperity of all of those who have been marginalized by an unjust and cruel society. And I think that's a pretty strong mission statement to yeah. have. We are, um, we're not an apolitical company. We're pretty yeah. uh, intensely, we, we, you know, we're not a, a fundamentally leftist institution, right? We're still a company. Companies kind of by mm-hmm. definition are playing the capitalist game. But uh, I'm extremely left-wing, uh, so is Ruby. Uh, so is kind of everyone we work with. It's and we make games that are about kind of very fundamentally um, this desire to see what lies beyond kind of the constraints of the society we live in right now. Right? Kind of what does it mean to break free from and challenge those pre preconceived structures? 
Um, and you know, it's, it's a big thing that we're, you know, we're not, we're not interested in, I think there's a lot of companies that are interested in apoliticism, right? That are like interested in being, oh, we just make games, you know, but everything's got politics and we're, we know our politics and we're upfront about them. We want, we put them in our mission statement right front and center so that people can hold us to them. Right. Like I expect that if we do something that violates our mission statement, people say so. Um, and that's important to me. That was important from the get-go. I think that's great. I think we're in a kind of turning point in the TTRPG community world in which I think having a strong stance and a strong sense of like, this is what we believe in. So this is what we're going to do is kind of important. So I think that's awesome. And I mean, I think it's also, I think it also comes through very clearly in the games that you've made as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, so, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, so you are the editorial director uh, for Possum Creep Games. And for those of our um, audience who may not know, what is an editorial director? What are you in charge? Yeah. Of? So um, Grubby handles... Grubby is art director. I'm editorial director. This mm-hmm. is ba- like That's kind of the big split in Possum Creek in terms of like our zones because we I think a lot of companies tend to view and a lot of people tend to view tabletop games as like the rules the rules are the thing and then everything else is set dressing but we have a really holistic framework around what we're making that we're not trying to make good rules we're trying to make a good a good thing like a good book Mm -hmm. with good rules good art good you know good literature good layout good everything um, and so that is a really kind of critical part of, you know, so I'm, and I'm the editorial director, which means that my role is to, uh, like pick out the games we're going to be, we're going to be publishing and to like workshop them and to edit them and to like, uh, you know, curate that. And also oftentimes it's to write the damn things. Uh, but and yeah, I was going to ask, kind of, is that kind mm-hmm. of shifted your, uh, role from being the like actual writer creator of the games to more of the person who reads over other people's pitches and kind of works on that? I think I think I'm I'm always gonna be writing stuff, but um I'm it's really nice to be able to take a back seat and let we've been doing mm-hmm. a lot of other people's work lately and it feels fantastic. Um Wander Home I think is my last major solo venture for a while. Like there's and even then with Wander Home it's like I want other people involved. It feels weird to do a thing alone. Like even with yeah. Wanderhome, there are other people involved. Mine, I just did the writing, but plenty of other people yeah. contributed things. Um, and I think that like in general, like creativity is framed as a very lonely process, but it's not. Um, and so a lot of what like I I do is basically like I I write stuff on the side. I like to joke uh, that game design is my hobby for when I'm not running a game company. Um, cause I just basically, what I do is I tinker away in, in, you know, like on off hours and I mess around with things and then every once in a while I go to Grubby and I'm like, all right, I got a new thing. Let's figure out what we can do with this. Um, she likes to compare it to like the, the, she's the cobbler and there's elves in the attic and she leaves the shoes out and comes back at night and finds them that they've been, they've been repaired. I love that. That's so sweet. <laughs> sweet little analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, well, I do want to talk a little bit more about Wanderhome. Let's talk um, about Wanderhome. 
Yeah, I feel like you would be the person to go to to talk about Wanderer. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, at this point, there are now some people, I think, who have played more Wanderer Home than I have. But oh, it, okay. it took it took a few years, but I think we've hit that point. Um, um, so, But yes, I think I'm still probably the foremost expert on the thing that I made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what led to your vision for Wander Home and for the world of Haith? Yeah, so um, Wander Home started in late April, or sorry, in, in, in mid-April of 2020. Um, I don't know if you can remember mid-April of 2020. I barely oh, can. Oh, I can remember. I mean, it's, I tried to block it yeah. from my memory. Yes, I, I try not to remember. Well, I think unsurprisingly, I was not having a great day that fine yeah. mid-April. Um, and I was um, sitting outside looking at the river that was next to my house where I lived at the time. And I was uh, thinking about uh, where, like, what it is to see the world and what it is to, like, be in a place. And I was thinking about how, like, the capitalist relationship to place and what it is then kind of inversely to see the world as if you're standing on a boat. And that's all really heady, but it was kind of where my head was at, which is kind of this, like, jumble of thoughts as I was, like, pulling things out and taking notes and pulling things out and taking notes. And I, I got really interested in um, a game that's about place. It's about giving a place a voice and exploring a place rather than um, that's about, like, a story. That's about, like, a plot. And kind of, like, what if instead of being concerned about a narrative arc, we're concerned about the environment and kind of exploring that. And so I started putting Wander Home together. And um, I'm, I used to be an art history major before I dropped out of college. Grubby uh, went to the same college as me and has a graphic design degree. Uh, we're both really interested in art. And, you know, I kind of was telling her about this idea. We we're like, oh, well, we're going to need a lot of different art. We're going to want, you know, like, let's start pulling artists. And so Grubby starts making this list of artists. And that's when it kind of all started really coming together very fast. Yeah, I, the art in the book is beautiful. I have it up on my shelf. Oh, um, good, good, it's, good, good. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, so we, of course, now have this book. You had your mm -hmm. uh, Kickstarter for it. Um, mm -hmm. But so the creative process seems to be about, was it about like a year, two years? Or was it a lot shorter than that? From um, conception, I suppose, to publication. So most of Wander Home was written in a very fast period of time. It was written from April to June of 2020. Okay. Uh, the editing took about a year, and the playtesting and the editing took about a year. So the, the core of the game was done pretty fast. And then what it was to organize the game, make sure that we stood by everything, took a lot longer. So, for example... Um, you know, character for the people who don't have playbooks in Wander Home are made up of these lists. And there's all these lists, right? And it looks almost deceptively simple because you look at these lists and it's like, oh, pick three to four to describe your look. Pick two you are and two you're not. Pick one you carry and one you've lost. Pick, you know, you're making these choices about these mm -hmm. objects and these things about you. Um, and they're actually, they're really hard to write. They're, they're, they look easy to write, but they're very dense. And that's because I wrote them, and then we edited them, and we had a, a person on staff who was the list editor, who went through every single list and tightened it further, and then we tightened it further, and just really kind of, you know, wrung it until it was as, as solid as possible uh, for all 200 plus lists in the game. 
So things like that, where it was like the core of the game mechanically is really simple, right? Wander Home is a game that arguably only has like one or two rules by like a formal definition. But the the heart of the game is in the environment it builds, and the way it does that is through the non-mechanical elements that had to get tightened and tightened and, and nailed down just perfectly, right? There's lists in the game. Uh, so there's a character who has the choice where you choose, like, one you keep lit and one you're struggling to keep. Like, one one you keep lit and one that's in danger of going out. And there are seven thing objects there. Each one of them is a light source, ranging from, like, a literal light source, like a lantern, to, like, a cigarette, to, like, uh, a, a passion. Um, and then each one of them connects to an outside force, either an NPC, like, a, an NPC or a, or a faction or something, or a lore. Uh, and every single one of them needs to be able to make sense with both of those prompt structures, right? That it needs to both make sense for it to be always lit and one that's in danger of going out, right? So tinkering with that, right, really kind of figuring out how to squeeze all of those things into those seven bullet points uh, was really kind of the, the, the heart of making Wander Home, was that was kind of like that anchoring. Yeah, you have a, a fairly simple on the surface game, but to make it like that, there were like all the tiny little yeah things you had to pick apart and make perfect mm-hmm. um, i i like it when things look very simple that look very that look that look like it's the it's the same thing with abstract art right i want to be able to make games that make people go like oh my kid could make that because that's the trick is that it's mm-hmm. it both it's a call to arms right where it's oh anyone can make a game you can make a game but also there's a lot more skill here than you expect. There's a lot of there's a lot of work that's been kind of done into the into the back end. You know, it actually it's much harder to write a one page game than it is to write a hundred page game, right? Because a hundred page mm-hmm. game is is a question of endurance, and a one page game is a question of clarity. Um, and so yeah. Wander Home is very much like it's it's a it's a it's a challenge. It's an incredible challenge of clarity to make sure that everything is really nailed. I think it's also that way in the sense that this game easily can be a couple hours in an afternoon with your friends or like a day by day recounting of somebody's life and journey within hate. Like it Mm -hmm. could be as short and quick and sweet as you want it or a long kind of odyssey. And I think it was, yeah, that was really an important part of the design was to make sure that it's a game that that you could imagine playing for years, even if you don't play yeah. it for years, right? Like, even if, I don't think, I think 99% of people who play Wander Home, and maybe that's like a low estimate, 99%, uh, will not play the game for years and years and years. But I want every single time you play, you're imagining that you could keep playing. And that mm-hmm. feeling of like, oh, the journey doesn't end. There's a, one of the art direction notes we gave for all the illustrations is... Um, there's always something further in the background. If you look to the horizon line in pretty much every single illustration, you'll see kind of, you know, you'll reach maybe mountains and then beyond the mountains, there are more mountains and beyond the mountains, there are more mountains. Or you can see like if there's a path, it continues further into the background. It keeps going. Um, and that was really important to us because we wanted to emphasize the feeling that every single picture is not like an end point but like a step in a journey. It's a step in a path that is continuing on into the background. Um, and so every single picture has that quality. That's 
Awesome. I, I don't think I picked that up going through the book. You'll notice so. it now. And you flip through, yeah, I you'll, definitely you'll spot will. It, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye um, out for it, yeah. Yeah. I think... I think one of my, the most interesting things to me is creating a game where it's completely communal and there's no, we don't have a game master or anything like that. It's a completely communal world building mm-hmm. game, which I think is one of the biggest reasons I was drawn to it. Because even in other, even in like most of the other like Powered by the Apocalypse games or the, what's it, Beyond mm-hmm. the... Belonging outside um, belonging. Be, belonging outside belonging, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still like an idea that somebody has to like mm-hmm. keep everybody in line and keep everybody face in one direction. But I guess maybe that is because this game is so much more about a place, as you said earlier, than it is about like the plot of a story Yeah, that maybe that yeah. lends to. And, and I, well, I also just think that, um, so there's a part in wander home where I talk about the concept of the guide where you can, if you would like to include a guide, like have mm-hmm. a guide help run the game. Um, but for me, every single time I look at a game, I'm never being like, oh, well, there has to be a GM. Every mm-hmm. single time I'm like, does there have to be a GM? And what responsibilities do they have to have? And a lot of the games I design or help design, there are no GMs. But frequently, I will enumerate kind of responsibilities that someone has to do, right? Because mm-hmm. a GM is kind of this bizarre role, if you think about it, where in Dungeons & Dragons, it's like, all right, you've got the person who knows the rules of the game, who is constructing the entire world, who is providing like the supplies and resources, who is oftentimes providing the location, and who is like moderating the social environment, right? Like if there's a problem player at a table, it's the GM's responsibility. It's not the other player's responsibility. Those are all a weird set of things to bundle together. That's a weird set of expectations to all put on one person in one place. But some of those are necessary roles to have. Gen- generally, you want to have someone who knows the rules of the game. You want to have yeah. someone who is thinking about where you're playing the game and making sure the resources are there. There's just no reason why that has to all be the same person. And so mm-hmm. a lot of like game design can just be, what if you took the responsibilities of the GM and you distributed it? Or like you figured out what was necessary, what was valuable to hold on to for this game, and you presented it as a set, you know, like how do you want to divvy it up? You put it in the player's hands. And I think that means that even in games of Wander Home where there is a guide, where there is kind of a more traditional GM relationship in terms of the world, there is still, I think, a much more communal space, right? It still feels much more... Uh, conversational and and communal and kind of like that those resources exist even if you you want to move in these different directions yeah we found that as as we played for our second season too because because it was a podcast we felt we needed a guide just to have direction within a like Mm -hmm. structured Mm -hmm. format but you know you can when it when it comes out our audience will be able to hear that there are so many times throughout where the guide is like okay well you guys, you guys build this, this place, this building. And, you know, you hear that and you can see how that developed rather than it all being behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and then just Mm -hmm. through exposition given to you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a question of like, who's actually, you know, kind of responsible. And if you want to abdicate responsibility, it's like, it's the same thing, like in a, in a committee where it's like, you might appoint someone to take on a specialized role within a committee, like a secretary or a, or a, a head. But mm-hmm. 
that person doesn't fundamentally wield more power than other people. They are just kind of taking on a set of responsibilities. And to me, that is much more what it is like to be in, like, I'm not interested in an ecclesiastical relationship when I play. I don't want one person uh, dictating to me this knowledge of this holy book, right? I want to be able to all sit down together and share in the book and engage with it that way. And I find that to be yeah. generally, when I play, much more productive. I kind of agree. I've been, I, I as most people, had my start with Dungeons and Dragons, but I, mm -hmm. in the last year, two years, I have been going into the rest of the world into games that aren't fantasy based or so rules and mechanics driven and i've also found that i think it's a lot better when it's collaborative rather than mm -hmm. just me being behind the dm screen with all of my notes yeah. like no it's yeah. so much more fun for everybody to be actively mm -hmm. engaged and yeah. like there there can be moments when when it's when it's nice to to invite the GM to be secretive in the same way that like it's fun to invite play like you know like you can you know going back to LARP, uh you know back back to kind of where I started, um you can have a game where everyone has their secrets that they're guarding and they're all like kind of being shifty and mysterious and you know it's a political intrigue, drama fest where you've got all these people doing these different clandestine things, um but you're inviting that to the to the space. It's not the default assumption. It's an it's an invited thing. Um, and that changes the relationship with it. And I think that sense of, oh, we're inviting this relationship to the table is much more fulfilling than we are assuming it always has to be here. Yeah. Um, another big difference, I think, within Wander Home and the World of Hate, and I actually think one of mm -hmm. my biggest draws to it um, is that it lacks combat. It lacks violence. It's a peaceful mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And I almost at the beginning when I heard it, like couldn't wrap my mind around that. Um, and so uh, can you just talk a little yeah. bit about why that was something you wanted to avoid? Violence takes up so much narrative space in tabletop play. It is, it is overwhelming how much violence takes over our ability to tell other forms of story. And like because the fact that violence isn't really violence, it's metaphorical mm -hmm. violence, right? The When you kill a goblin in Dungeons & Dragons, you're not dwelling with the ethical implications of having just committed a murder. Uh, yeah. You are playing a game and engaging <laughs> with a game piece. And narratively, you are asserting agency against the world. You are fulfilling a set of narrative obligations. But those narrative obligations are still caught up in this monolith that is violence and when you tell people there's a game without violence they go oh well what else could there be because for some reason we have constructed our entire understanding and knowledge of how we can tell stories together to this one specific mode of being that is incredibly limited um and we act like that is the only way we can tell stories um it's a bit like if 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 every single book was a romance novel and I told you that I'm writing a book without romance. And you were like, oh, then what's the plot? If there's no romance, how can there be plot? And it's like, well, <laughs> there is a, a world. Have you ever heard of literally anything else? And, yeah. and with, with like, like the decision to say there's no violence in Wanderhome uh, is because I want to invite all the other stories to the table. It's not so much about saying, oh, well, you can't do this. It's saying, hey, let's make space. Like, 
violence is the loudest person at the party, right? Violence is shouting over everyone else and drowning them out. So if we take violence out of the room, what do we get to start to hear that we couldn't hear over the sound of violence? Um, there are characters in Wanderhome, like the poet or the shepherd, that simply couldn't exist in a game where violence was normalized, right? A shepherd, with a, like, or like a kid even, having a kid wandering around is, is you know, like having like just this, you know, or having like an old person who can't really walk that well, or having someone, you know, like, like in many games you have to adjust those and tinker with those to justify how they can still relate to violence, right? How can you, they must be a warrior poet or like a magic bard who casts spells, and it's like, well, why not have a bard that's just a musician? Why not have a poet who's just a writer? Why don't we make space for these other modes of being that can be full of yeah. stories, right? There are lots of stories about writers. You, every, every writer writes a book about writers. That's what authors do. And there's so much space to tell stories. There's so many possible stories to tell about shepherds, right? There's many interesting things that can emerge from having a shepherd as the as a character. Um, so that's that was kind of really my goal, and like was like what what do we get to play with when we when we take this when we when we take our one toy off the table? What other things do we discover? Is that a also like outside of Wanderhome thing? Is that a Possum Creek uh, style in general? Is not yeah. fundamentally. Yeah. We have put out games that have have violence in them, but uh, frequently it's uh, like violence is a is a space. We love to have spaces to play in, right? Like we mm -hmm. love to, and we just we're just not interested in what we're supposed to be doing. And so sometimes we put out uh, like you know we've got a tactical combat game that's a PDF on our website and. That's like, you know, that was almost made as like, a, oh, you say we can't do that, right? You think we're just wander home. Let's make another thing just to keep you on your toes. Mm -hmm. But generally, it's like, I'm just interested in making games about whatever, right? Whatever I feel like making a game about, I want to make it about. And sometimes that means there's some sword fighting, but probably there's not because most human, inter right? Like, I'm going to make a wild guess and say your life contains very little direct physical combat unless you are like a historical reenactor like even then <laughs> like you're not when you go to the grocery store you're not taking a break to fight some kobolds um and so there's the whole ocean of human experience that lies outside of conflict and so i like to tell stories about that and sometimes i do want to tell stories about conflict because conflict because like violence does ultimately lie within the sea of stories that could exist um but i want to do so thoughtfully um, and frequently a thing that I think about is um, the distinction between violence as a narrative tool that we were talking about earlier, right? The idea of like, oh, you know, this isn't really killing a goblin. This is like a metaphorical thing I'm doing versus yeah. violence as violence, which is generally the domain of horror, which is the understanding of violence as truly a monstrous thing. And like the thing I like to say is that Wanderhome contains about as much violence as your actual life does. Which is to mm -hmm. say that uh, it, it, it there's the threat of it. The threat looms yeah. much more presently than the reality. Um, but uh, even in you know in a lot of my games, it's like in Sleepaway, which is a horror game. There is violence is present in that game, but it's rare and it's scary and it's intense and it's bad and you don't want to have it happen to you. Um, 
and in Yuzeba's, which is, you know, uh, Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast, which is a much goofier game, there's, like, you know, jokes about, there's, like, you know, the kind of moments where it could maybe come up, but they're hidden in the corners, and they're tucked away, and they're, like, part of, you know, they're kind of just part of the play. Yeah, I think you've touched on something there, too, of, instead of talking about violence, talking about conflict, because I think we often forget in TTRPGs that you can have a lot of conflict that is not mm-hmm. violent. And one of my that's just mm-hmm. interpersonal relationships. One of my favorite moments that came up in a playtest of Wanderhelm was I was running a game for a group of OSR people, old school Renaissance, who generally play very different games, and we were in this this castle that in the middle of a swamp that had been turned into a casino and was like on the edge of the King of the Floating Mountains Empire, and we were kind of having to like travel carefully, and it was run by like the cap this one like military captain who had seized it after a rebellion. Um, and one of the characters, the veteran, gets manhandled by these two guards, and the guards are, like, kind of looming at her. And in normally a tabletop game, she would attack the guards, and they would fight, and the guards would be dead, and she would move on. But violence is off the table. So instead, she's like, well, fine, take me to your captain. And she's brought to to the captain and realizes it's her ex. And so yes, suddenly, is. this whole <laughs> thing happens. This whole thing opens up that was only possible because violence was off the table, right? Because yeah. we, could, we weren't telling a story about hitting each other with swords, it suddenly became a story about two people trying to love each other and failing in the midst of this war that is now over but wasn't over 10 years ago. And the mm-hmm. looming threat of that. It becomes a story about the potential of violence being something haunting and scary, which is much more interesting to me than, you know, if she just killed the guards and run off. I actually, I think this might be my last wander home question for you. Um, what, what's the draw of diceless games? The thing about dice is that they are um, dice are historically an oracular tool and a gambling tool, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there are many such oracular tools and gambling tools. They kind of change historically, and we still use them in our games. Um, but they all have very different sensations to them. A really classic example I give is if you imagine rolling a d20 to see what happens versus drawing a card from a deck of 20 cards to see what happens. Those are mathematically identical actions, but emotionally they're very different. Rolling the dice feels like it's much more up in the air than drawing from the deck of cards. Drawing from the deck of cards feels predetermined. Like the events have already been set up and you are finding out what has already been true. There are two different Mm -hmm. sensations for play. Um, And that is true across the board, right? Even different shaped dice elicit different sensations. Our cultural associations elicit different sensations. The manner in which we roll the die, right? If you were to throw mm-hmm. six dice in a in a cup and rattle the cup around and throw it out, it would be a different emotion than shaking the dice in your hands. Um, yeah. And n- that emotion that dice elicit isn't always apt for games. And we assume it is because it's the default. Once again, it is the thing that we assume must be true. But I come from LARP. I don't come from tabletop. Yeah. Tabletop to me, it has all these conventions that are arbitrary they are clearly arbitrary from my point of view so i can do whatever i want right i'm not i and if if a game does not does not you know like i i started even you know there's a moment when i thought of wander as having dice and i wrote out 
what would be the worst thing I want to have happen to someone and the best thing I'd want to have happen to someone, right? Like what's the, what's the equivalent of a critical success and a critical fail? And I realized that for Wander Home, neither of those were uh, – like, like the, the worst thing I wanted to have happen to someone was that you have to give something up to help someone else, right? That you have to make a big sacrifice. And the best thing I could imagine having happen is that you get to temporarily bring about some kind of emotional you know, catharsis or peace for someone else, uh, mm-hmm. although like you might not be able to help them with their long-term problems. And that's a really – weird range for a dice for dice to have right that doesn't elicit a dice feeling right that's not yeah there's no kind of you know you're not kind of you know challenging lady luck when that's the range so it's like there's no there's no point to dice here um and lots of games are that way right where it's like i've got lots of games that have dice i've I've sketched them out in various forms they've never made it to publication but i've certainly Mm -hmm. messed with dice um but you don't i just don't need them they're not necessary you know same as violence it's not necessary there's plenty of other things that get to happen when we don't view those as the default yeah i think it it's a great way to put characters and story first and to like actively engage in the world instead of having the dice roll tell you how you're supposed to Mm -hmm. engage in the world Um, yeah it's almost a a weird mirror to your we're expected to do violence but what if we didn't and it's like Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a weird mirror to that. I think that's yeah, cool. It's I'm excited the, the, for it. In in when in a in a game with dice, in a sense you're kind of asking the gods what are gonna happen, right? You're consulting the gods and the god the pan you know, the the gods decide what will occur. Um and in a game without dice, you are the one in the driver's seat, right? You're the one ultimately mm-hmm. making like a game without randomness, the like there's this concept in game design called the um uh Oh God, I can never pronounce his name, but it's this principle by this guy from the Forge, uh, which says that uh, in a game, the person who decides to do a thing, who de- and who determines how it goes, uh, sh- the person who decides to do a thing, who does the thing, and who decides how it goes, should never all three be the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, there's the sense of like, you know, like a game, a game should contain some element of of unknown. Um, the the surrealist philosopher Cesar, I believe, was the one who said that chess is a game of luck, even though there's no dice. You know, like chess is a, a game of luck, even though perhaps we might say, "Oh, chess is predetermined." He says, "No, no, chess is a game of luck because you never know what your opponent will do, right? Your opponent yeah. is the mis- is the is the mystery thing. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe you'll do well, but he'll do better. Maybe you'll do well, and she'll do worse. You know, maybe you'll do you know, and so." In a diceless game, the other people are the dice, right? The uh, the collective imagination is the dice, right? It's the it's the element of un, of uncertainty that provides and moves things forward. Yeah, uh, you had mentioned very briefly. Um, sorry, is it Yezebas? Is that how you pronounce mm-hmm. it? Yezebas. 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 Whatever you're feeling. <laughs> well, uh, Yezebas bed and breakfast, which. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know a ton about it. I know that you had a pretty successful Indiegogo campaign that just finished up. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, Actually, it was last year, if you can believe it. Oh, we it was just, last. I been... thought it was just this year. No, it was mm, last year. No, no. Okay. Time flies. Okay. Time flies. Yeah. And, uh, but we just released the digital version, so the PDF and the accompanying virtual tabletop. Okay. Because we we worked with a VTT company to create 
kind of our own basically roll 20 equivalent just yeah. for this game so wow that is awesome. all that's all available right now on uh, the book itself should be coming out at the end of the year fingers crossed yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm very excited for it. Uh, can you give a little summary about what this game is sure. all about? Yuseba's Bed and Breakfast is a uh, whimsical slice of life RPG about a found family in an interdimensional magical bed and breakfast. Um, you play as specific characters, such as uh, the trans girl Gertrude, who ran away from home and is sleeping on the, in the laundry room, or the demonic Hey Kid, who is uh, just a little kid who got left on, you know, who is also the devil. Uh, or Parrish, uh, the 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 chef who is a knight cursed to be a frog, or even the heartless witch herself, Yazeba. And you play as them, uh, you tell these little episodic adventures, you do like an hour doing a little story together, right? Maybe I'm mm-hmm. Hakid and you're Gertrude, and, uh, you know, we wash dishes together. And we make little notes on the character sheet, and we like kind of adjust what they are. And then next time we play, maybe you're Hey Kid, and I'm Parrish, and you've got my notes from last time, and you've got the stickers from last time, and you've got the materials from then. And so it's a game that builds on itself over time. It We've been working on it since November 2019, so uh, it, Wander Home was made partially while taking a break from working on Yuseba's. Oh, okay. Um, it's a it's an elaborate piece, but it's it's really something special. Um, and if uh, you're interested in a game that you it takes an hour to play, but you can sit with, you can like leave a mark that will last for the rest of the game. It's it's a really special experience. It sounds super interesting, and just from that little description, for some reason, I've never even seen this show, but that um, cartoon Foster's Home for Imaginary yes. Friends oh, like, for popped sure. into my head. Don't, right, right there on the inspiration <laughs> list. Don't even worry. We were talking about what the bed and breakfast should look like, and we were throwing around that that, that, that Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Oh, yeah, it's right, right part of that. Like. We we wanted to make a game that was really like about this kind of like uncertain nostalgia, like nostalgia for a thing you can't quite remember. Um, and so there's a lot of like it's kind of like like chapters are out of order on purpose, and like there's like the feeling of like you're just kind of piecing things together. Or, like you know maybe it's like a paperback you found in the corner of the library that's like book five and you can't find three or six, or it's like a TV show, you know, you're catching a random episode of Fosters, but you don't have the rest of the context, you know. That's kind of yeah. the Yuseba's vibe. It, the image of it on your guys' website looks like it's a pretty thick tome of a book. Yeah, it's a 500-page book. It's 500 pages, oh which is it's pretty, yeah, it's 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 pretty chonky, but what, I mean, what's cool is that you don't need all that like yeah. most of it is locked content because the way it works is whenever we play a chapter together, right? Like we have these like little mini adventures. We go on an adventure, we get a sticker that we, it's a, like a, a memento, like a, a carrot mm-hmm. or a stack of paper, or like a, a weird doll. And we put it somewhere in the bed and breakfast. And that helps us unlock more stuff down the line. So mm-hmm. the game is kind of like, it's most of the book is kind of this further stuff. Whereas like, so it's like we, our goal with it was a shallow entry in a deep well, right? That you can mm-hmm. get into it really fast and then go very deep if you want to. Yeah. Wow. That is super intriguing. I, yeah, I got to get, get my hands on that when it comes mm-hmm. out because I am. Yeah. I, I would absolutely I recommend it. We've been, we are sending the, the, the materials to the printer tomorrow. 
Um, so we've been kind of scrambling for the past several weeks, kind of getting all the documents together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be a beautiful book. It is. There's there are so many elements of it that I am like, you know, like we're 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 working on the box set right now, and it's going to look like a stack of books on your shelf, right? That we don't want it to look like like we don't want it to look like a a, a board game box. We want it to look mm-hmm. like books on the shelf. So there's like Yuzebas itself, and then there's like the the trinkets and tchotchkes box which has like the deck of cards and the coins and the materials you need to play and there's like the ledger that has like the the like black and white printout so you you know you don't have to like you, you just have it right there and like yeah. all this stuff that's gonna be really beautiful and it's just so like like gold embossed on 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 oh it's gonna look really nice so yeah that sounds beautiful and i mean i can only imagine since the wander home art was so gorgeous that this is oh yeah no the art if if you look up the art there's some really phenomenal art i've been there's i think 400 illustrations for this game wander home had had 100 illustrations this is four times as many illustrations as wander home that's a massive undertaking but it's been a lot it's been a lot it's been it's been enormous uh it's kind of but i'm really proud of it um I'm I'm really excited for people to get their hands on it, and I I I think I like to I think like Wander Home and Gazebas are really good companions. Where Wander Home is very peaceful, and Gazebas is a bit more like Wander Home is almost like a single element of Gazebas amplified, where it's just kind of like this this you know getting to you know like. Wanderhome is about looking for a place to be, and Yazebas is about the trials and tribulations of having a place to be. And so they're I think they're really they're they're good in conversation with each other and they're also I think you can see how they build on each other. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean found family is like my favorite oh, trope of all time. Of so of course, yes. I easily get me mm-hmm, on the hook with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, no, I yeah. feel you. Um, well, you know, we're coming up on the end here. Uh, so I want to thank you again for giving us some yeah. of your time. Thank but you so much you go, for having me. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. This has been awesome. This has been so, yeah. so much fun. Um, mm-hmm. Before you go, though, um, I know that there are a lot of uh, secrets in the creative world um, that need to be kept for a plethora of reasons. And so mm-hmm. I know that, Yazebas, you've got that coming up. Um, is there anything after that you've got in mm, mind for there's, Foster Creek there's, Games? There's a couple things. So I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've, I think I can mention it. We, this is not the, the formal announcement that'll be, we'll be doing a whole little thing at Gen Con, hopefully, fingers crossed. But we are looking to finally do an expansion for Wander Home, uh, in 2024. That is so we will be, we will be. We haven't quite yet figured out the the theme and the nature, but I've done a lot of writing for it already. I have like all these documents of like all these things that I couldn't quite fit into Wander Home when we first released it. I've got like rules for magic spells and like you know like I've got a I've got an aeronaut playbook or like the lovers <laughs> playbook, so you know, things like that. Um, and so we've got all these materials that we're we're looking to put out and we're gonna do an expansion for it that's i think it's gonna be really really cool and special once we once we have it all sorted and then there's there's other stuff too right you know um always more things we're gonna be we're, we're releasing um a solo game based on italic calvino's invisible cities that's coming out soon we're working on um a pair of games about folk horror and the gothic 
uh, working with Luke Jordan of Wildwood Games. I'm working with Hunters Entertainment on a uh, a companion for Alice is Missing, uh, which will be really exciting when that's all. I want to uh, play that game doing... so badly. I have Alice is Missing it is a fantastic yeah. game. I'm working on basically like uh, it's it's called The Hitchhiker, and it's about like ghost stories and kind of me taking that setup of Alice is Missing and kind of mixing it with a bit of the Stephen King northeastern mm-hmm. gothic quality, where it's like, uh, what if you know? You've got a group of friends, and you've got a group chat, and one of you dies. And then five years later, you've all moved on, and the group chat lights up again, and your friend is like, hey, I'm dead. (laughs) Help. (laughs) Things like that. Yeah. Um, so there's gonna be there's there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff down the pipeline. But I yeah, I, I was can't saying you're to... working on about a hundred different things at once. Oh, I'm always right struggling now. things. And I'm writing a I'm writing a novel or trying to. There's oh like, my I'm goodness! Just, I know I can't help myself. I'm my family has this my, my entire family has the same problem, which is when we get stressed out, we invent new things to be stressed about. Mm-hmm. We like you know whenever mm-hmm. it's like we're you overworked, well. we just immediately find a new thing to be overworked about. Um, and so I can't help myself, but there's a lot of really cool stuff that I'm looking forward to doing, and I, I simply cannot wait to, to show it all off. Well, I can't wait to see all of it. Um, thank you so much, Jay. Thank um, you so much for, for having coming me. coming on. This was an absolute pleasure. I loved picking your brain about, uh, games. Um, yeah. and for everybody, uh, everyone else, everyone listening and watching, until next time. Hey everyone, we're so excited to premiere this new show. In upcoming episodes, you'll be able to hear more about our cast, who are creatives in their own right, as well as some other creators within the TTRPG space. If you want to see the video versions of these interviews or get early access to them, you can check out our Queerio tier on patreon.com queerpg. You can follow QueerPG on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at QueerPGPod. QueerPG is made possible by all of you who listen and share the show. So if you like what you hear, please rate and review. It helps other people find the podcast. If you're interested in seeing transcripts for the episodes, all of those from previous episodes and episodes to come can be found on our website, QueerPG.com. Until next time.